freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman. That right there, Greg Ducharme. Greg, oh mama, we are going to be hot and heavy here. Rick, not only did he save the PGA Tour, but I, I think he saved me. Uh, he's Rory, Rory McElroy saved my life today. <laughs> I'm just so thrilled about it. Oh, Kyle Porter is here. KP this, we're not even at the major yet. This, this feels like a major with the way this week went. Honest to God. I forgot the U S open was next week. <laughs> I just forgot. Like <laughs> somebody, I think, uh, <laughs> Justin Ray tweeted that uh, he's like, it's U.S. Open week. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's the U.S. Open next week. That's that's how this week has gone. It's phenomenal. We are just in an absolute moment right now in the same week that Live Golf makes their debut and Charles Schwartzel goes out and wins the largest purse ever in golf. The PGA Tour responds with a good one, Greg. This leaderboard. That consisted of Rory McIlroy, Tony Finau, and Justin Thomas in the final group. Ends up with that group going 20 under under par on Sunday. And the face of the tour, Rory McIlroy, gets his 21st career victory. A 62 and a couple 64s in that group. I mean, it it was just awesome to watch. And it it just highlighted in so many ways what we get very often uh, in these PGA Tour events where it doesn't necessarily matter what the field looks like as a whole. It matters what happens down the stretch. And we get so often, you get the the best players playing their best golf coming down the stretch to win. And it leads to just greatness. And that's what we saw today. I mean, Rory went into a different gear. Uh, And and I think when you heard what he said afterwards, he was motivated by more than just uh, trying to defend his title at the Canadian Open. Noted that. His 21st victory, KP, was one more than someone else. That's someone else he refers to, Greg Norman, who had 20 career PGA Tour victories. Rory McIlroy made it even more clear in his post-round press conference. Had a little extra motivation. Plenty of incentive out there at St. George's. Yeah, it was uh, it was sick. Uh, Rory is, you know, I wrote this in my in my like recap after the round, Rory is the soul of professional golf. And on a week in which the PGA tour needed it, he was the soul of the PGA tour and live golf kind of disclosed that it doesn't have a soul. Right. And so you have those two things. Uh, Greg's excited about that. Um, yeah, I like that one. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you have those two things contrasting and, you know, I think, listen, like I get a lot of questions, not a lot. I get some response, to from people that are like why do you guys all love rory so much and there's a there's a lot of different answers to that question but i think today and i put this on twitter but i think today was sort of emblematic of a lot of the reason like of of why we love rory which is he's generationally great at golf he has seven approaches inside of five feet and lost strokes putting and shot 62 that's unbelievable that's that shouldn't happen by the way if he if he hits if he's hitting approach shots next week like he did this week he's gonna win by 10 it's gonna be unreal uh, he's generationally great at golf. He has a sense of the moment historically. You know, I think he really understands this sort of crossroads that professional golf is at and cares about it in, in, in as much as he can affect it. And then he wants the ball. You know, I, I think that he wants the ball on the course. He wants to be the guy. 
And then he obviously wants it off the course as well in terms of give me the mic. I'm going to say something that is not like incendiary, but to those of us who follow closely, it kind of is right. And it, it's just like, it's the right amount of, of um, sort of fire that you want to bring fire is the wrong word. It's the right amount of um, it, like, it's it. What am I trying to say here? It's, it's the right level. Like you don't want to go all like, this is my tour. I, you know, that, that type of thing, but it was the right sort of like jab at Greg Norman and live golf and everything that went on this week in a week that they had a lot of momentum. It was just the appropriate amount of kind of, kind of, kind of punching back a little bit. And I thought all of it was, it was tremendous. I mean, Jay Monahan for as bad as this week went for him, both I thought kind of personally, but also for his organization Sunday was like, he couldn't have written anything that could have possibly been better for him on Sunday. Yeah. I was kind of messing around in the intro, Greg saying that Rory McIlroy saved the PGA tour, but there's like 2% of me that thinks I wasn't messing around. Uh, let's let's be real. The, the tour, we've talked about this for a year. They don't have a lot of defenses. They don't have a lot of leverage. You're not going to outspend the Saudis. You don't control the majors. You're kind of stuck in this really awkward position unless you are able to put out the best product and you are able to have the best stars competing on this massive stage and dueling like we saw on Sunday. I mean, this was, this was goosebumps for me on Sunday, watching these guys go after Rory McIlroy, Greg was eight under through 12 and it, it wasn't over, right? Like this thing still came down to the stretch because of how well Justin Thomas and Tony Finau played. I mean, this was golf at its best. Yes, and and it highlighted a couple things that I think Jay Monahan alluded to in in his interviews and has been alluding to all along. This um, this battle is between uh, legacy and and dollars, and it, which can be a little bit of a challenge. But what you saw this week is the RBC Canadian Open, which may be a big deal in Canada. It's their national open, but it's no major. It's not an elevated event on the PGA Tour. It it doesn't draw the greatest field and. Um, you know, we've missed it for the last two years and outside of Canada, how much has it really been missed? It, it, it doesn't stand out as an event that is, uh, iconic. It, it's Rory McIlroy's 2019 win doesn't rank it probably inside the top 10 of his biggest wins of his career. Uh, and this one is probably the fifth biggest win of his career, uh, which because of everything else that it means. And so it speaks to what what any given week on the PGA Tour can mean to a player, uh, what any given week on the PGA Tour can mean to the to the tour and to fans of golf. And we can get a major championship like show any given week. Um, and, and the reason is because it meant something. And what you could feel from the crowds this week is that it meant something. It mattered who won. It mattered who didn't win. Every shot had this sense of really mattering. Um, so it, it was really special to watch that in what's normally a, a forgotten week before a major championship where normally on Sunday afternoon, you start seeing us open stuff come out on Twitter, True. right? You start seeing and it's like, okay, well, we'll see who wins this and it's a big deal, but all of our focus is, is, uh, on the major. And this week was completely different. It, it was so different that one of the best if not the best golf writer in the game forgot that the U S open was the very next week. Right. Like, like that's a, that's a big deal. And it speaks to the meaning of the event. So 
I I don't I don't disagree with you, Greg. I, I think that to watch <clears throat> this glorified exhibition in London compared to a national open in Canada, I mean the contrast was very stark. And at the same time, I think it it's we were talking about I think Rick and I were talking about this on like Thursday. It was very much a, a, a privileged thing to be able to only care about legacy, right? Wyndham Clark doesn't only get to care about legacy. Um, give me some other names here. Like Maverick McNeely. Well, that's a really bad example because his family's extremely wealthy. What'd you say? Danny Lee finished T10. <laughs> Danny Lee doesn't get to only care about legacy. They have like, and and I think my point of that is 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 to say like, I don't know that Rory against JT, like we, I love it and you love it and fans love it, but I don't know that it does anything to sort of stem the tide that could eventually end up at live golf because Rory and JT exist in this stratosphere that only has like five guys in it. Now you could argue it's the only five guys that matter or eight guys or whatever, um, where they don't, they don't have to care about like money that much. They can afford to, they have the privilege of just caring about legacy. Um, whereas, a uh, yeah, like a Pat Perez or somebody like that, that's jumped over to live golf. Like, he he there is no legacy for him to care about. He's not gonna win majors, he's not gonna win more tournaments. He he just he just wants money. So I, I just like, as great as Sunday was, I don't know that it really matters in sort of the long term battle that live golf and PGA and the PGA tour are gonna have for the for kind of the regular season of golf. So so I think you're absolutely right, Kyle. Let me play devil's advocate here. And Greg, you've you've talked to a lot of these guys, whether it's just via your golf experience, whether it's via course record. You you get into the insight of of professional golfers, and professional golfers and professional athletes are wired completely differently than normal people. They all think they are the best golfer in the world. Like legitimately think they're the best that's golfer. That's I'm not, yeah, which I which we joke about all the time because that's how you have to be to get to this level. But there are probably and Greg, what do you think? There's probably 60 or 70 guys that think they're top five guys or top 10 guys. So I do wonder, while I completely agree that they are not all playing for legacy, a lot might be thinking they're playing for legacy more so than they actually are. Yes. And and they're not counting up their trophies and counting up their win tight their win totals. But at their at the end of their career, when they look back and reflect, they want to know who they beat. Um, they're going to know, okay, well, yeah, I, I beat, uh, Justin Thomas coming down the stretch of the RBC Canadian open. Um, or, or maybe it's Taylor Gooch saying, Hey, at the RSM classic, my first PGA tour victory, I, I took down Scotty Scheffler who went on that PGA tour victory. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and he, he's an interesting character to me because he did make the jump. But one thing that he said earlier this year, we had him on. Uh, I don't think it was course record, but we had, I had a chance to hear an interview with him and he, he said his goal was to be the number one player in the world. And it sounded outrageous, right? I I know it sounds outrageous, but I think I can become the number one player in the world. Billy Horschel, his goal is to win all four major championships and, and and play on the Ryder cup and play on the president's cup. And we, we sit back and think, okay, well, Billy Horschel isn't going to win all four majors. Right. But that's his, that's the top goal on his sheet. So their goals to your point, Rick, are a lot more lofty than what we think is realistic for them. And they always think they're just a, 
a, a moment away or a, a break away a, some there's something very minor away from really getting it and really figuring it out and you lose those opportunities when when you leave to me greg you said earlier that um i want to clarify something you said at the canadian open on sunday it was it was something like this evident that players were like it meant something they were playing for something yeah what how like what what did you mean by that as compared to let's say the live golf event in in london this week why were they not playing for something explain that I was looking, so there are things that happen when you win on the PGA tour, um, that you get as a winner. There's a two year exemption. There's uh there's Fed, the FedEx cup points that you earn. There's the exemption into major championships, a trip to Augusta national, a trip to the century tournament of champions. I was doing a little bit of us open research and you look at the list when you win a major, it's exemption for the next 10 years into the u.s open five years for all the other majors and the players five-year exemption under the pga tour um th- there's there are these long lists of things that you um that you earn when you win and when charles schwartzel wins this week uh, i'm i'm not sure if they're gonna kick him off next week if somebody better comes along but there's there's nothing other than you know four million dollars which is a lot but you sit back at the end of your career and you look at it and I mean, is that what you're thinking about? And I look, that's, that's personal to every individual player, but to Rick's earlier point, the, the athletes that I've heard from that I know, they want to beat the very best. And they often, they, they rarely come at it as a, as a junior player, as a kid in the essence of, well, I'm going to have, you know, 14 Lamborghinis. And if I get 14 Lamborghinis, then I'm going to, it's going to be a successful career for me. No, it's 16 trophies, right. Or, or, or 25 trophies or however many, you know, you want to have the trophies and the accolades and the statement that you beat the very best. And it, it felt like that this week. It felt like the fans had that. And it felt like, like Tony Finau had a chance to beat some of the best players in the world. Um, who who are playing their best that week? Yeah. So I guess that's what I mean. There's there's a much greater depth to it than what we saw this week with Liv. I think there's a. I think that again. I, I listen. Like I I want to be clear that anything that I say positively, like I am not for the live golf stuff. Like it is. It's not. It it's not good for golf. It's not the it's not a good organization like am i for some of the blueprint that they put out there this week for sure and we can talk about that but anything that i say positive about live golf is not a indication that i am a proponent of it uh of it succeeding um that having been said i do wonder if if some of these guys that are going to especially some of the younger guys like bryson or whoever that are going to live golf are looking at it and saying like, man, I really think that money wins out and five years from now that this is going to be the best tour in the world. And I'm simply getting my hundred million at a time where they're still paying that stuff out because four years from now, when 46 of the best 48 in the world are there, they ain't paying a hundred million to the last two Rory and JT are still going to be played on the PGA tour. They're not paying a hundred million to them because they don't they, like, they'll either just come over or they don't need them. Right. And so 
I was thinking, here's the thing I was thinking about, and I'd love for producer Jacob to jump in here because he's pretty well-versed in this. I think the thing that has up some people really upset about the PGA tour and live like everything that's going on here is the fact that live golf is not a meritocracy, right? One of the, one of the cool, and that's like what you're saying when you're saying you're playing for something, it's meaningful is not a, not in addition to winning like a Canadian like a s- historical tournament at Canadian Open every shot is worth 50,000 100,000 every shot is meaningful and while that's true on the live golf tour it's also true that guys are getting contracts to where every shot is not meaningful which is a lot like um is a lot like other sports right you can you can, if lebron doesn't make a bucket this year he still makes 45 million dollars which is just how other sports work. And the sport that I was thinking about, and this is why I want Jacob to jump in, is F1. Because F1, there's no um, there's no playoffs. There's no majors. There's, no, there's nothing beyond their regular season. And all their driver contracts, as, as far as I understand, are guaranteed. Um, and so it, in a sense... It's a little bit like all these little exhibitions all over the world, and yet they generate immense interest, and it's extremely compelling, even though it's just sort of like a regular – it's sort of like an exhibition regular season where the drivers are getting paid whether they finish first or last, right? Like they're still getting paid by their organization, and you're not playing anything – you're not playing for anything beyond like, well, I won Monaco or I won Miami or whatever. I, I don't know. What do you think about that comparison, Jacob? Uh, well, first of all, there are incentives for winning the most amount of points on a team level. So okay. teams, the teams get points that they accrue throughout the season. And then there's a payoff, you know, first place gets X amount of dollars and it goes down from there. So there is the, they incentive. get it. They get it from the, from the like F1 from the league. Yeah, essentially, there's a pool that F1 gotcha. then divvies up at the end of the year for whoever had the most points, and then it goes all the way down to the bottom. Uh, okay. You use that word meritocracy, which I think like is the biggest comparison that you draw between F1 and the Live League, where it's a much more theoretically closed ecosystem. Um, you know, we it's a common criticism of the PGA tour and the corn Ferry tour that you don't allow your best players to play their way up. And sometimes that could be evident in things like F1, where you might have a guy who won a lot on the lower leagues, but in F1, they also have basically what they're called pay drivers. So these are guys who, uh, and, and you know, Lance Stroll is one of them. His family is very wealthy. His father took a controlling interest in the team that he drives for because he's a billionaire. And so now Lance Stroll always has a seat in a car and he gets to race every single week. So for him, F1 is ex- essentially a glorified exhibition. It's just sort of a thing he does. His his dad owns the team. You know, you can't fire me. My dad's the coach type of a deal. And that's <laughs> where I think that's where I, I could see concerns with Liv and the PGA Tour. They need to rectify how you get someone like a Will Zalatoris, for example. You know, remember last year he was playing PGA Tour events as a non-status member and he was the betting yeah. favorite. Um, you know, yeah. that's, that's, that's where I see the competition in the future is who, who squares that circle of getting the young talent in the pipeline to a point where, you know, they feel like they're getting their proper worth. 
because I mean, right, right now, what I see is, you know, are you, if you're, if you're someone who's coming off of a great amateur career and your option to go to the PGA tour is you got to go grind it out on Latino America, maybe Canada, then get a corn ferry. And you're essentially playing for minimum wage. Some of these guys, if you don't have a decent amount of backing or live is going to come around and offer you, even if it's an advance, because they've been playing out, so paying out some players and just straight up advances, you know, here's a $500,000 advance. You just got to make that up and then you make all that money on top of it. I mean, that, that sort of presents a no brainer situation. If you're one of those up and coming players. Rick's been wanting to talk for like five minutes now. <laughs> One also, um, there's such a finite amount of spots at the top level, right? There's 20 drivers. Yeah, so there's exactly even, 20 drivers, which so is sweet. Awesome. So even though you have a contract for the rest of the year, like you you could be replaced, right? You, so there's also the incentive of like, I I need to be one of these 20 every single year over and over again, even if even if my dollars are guaranteed. And in that, in that sense, it's not an exit. Well, in that, I mean, in that sense, like the, the the perfect scenario of live golf is also not an exhibition because your team might get rid of you if you don't play well, right? Right. And, yeah. And I think like, I mean, it, well, go ahead, Jacob. Well, I was just going to say, and very similar to what what live could turn into, right? I mean, there there are certainly names that are around, like, and they're just their spot is safe because, like. The contracts are short term, but it's like you're no one's gonna really like boot Lewis Hamilton out if he starts <laughs> performing poorly, you know. And right. there's other previous right. world champions that might get to stick around for a lot longer, even if their results don't actually pan out to be what could be the best for the team, because every team's gonna do that cost benefit analysis of well, this guy might be past his prime, but he's also a big name. A Just, marketing god. A marketing yeah, that's why I just Justin Rose kept making Ryder Cup teams for years. Say, say that again, Rick. Justin Rose kept making those Ryder Cup teams. It's like, well, he's been around. We, uh, yeah. we like. <laughs> I just, I, I think that I, um, I don't know. Like, the meritocracy of golf is what makes it really cool and special, and it also feels like it's part of what got the PGA Tour in, into the position that it's in. Um, one one other. Oh, go okay. go ahead. You finish that. Oh, all right. I was just going to say when you think about meritocracy, excuse me. Um, the the part of the corn fairy tour that is so great is not how much money they make, but it, it the fact that they make so little is designed for a purpose, right? And and so I heard Tom Lehman talk about this, and he said when I played. This is Tom talking when I played on the corn Ferry tour, which was then I think the Nike tour, um, you know, you were making nothing, but you're playing for your livelihood. And if you, if you don't succeed, if you come in 10th place instead of first place, your pay goes down to like a thousand dollars. Right. And, and so you end up making nothing and it's the difference between staying in a hotel and staying in your car. It's like Lee Trevino when he talked about the real pressure is playing for $5 when you only have $2 in your pocket. And, and that kind of thing, in, according to Tom Lehman and according to Lee Trevino, it teaches you how to be tough and, and it, it develops your skill as a player. And so now when you see all these players, Justin Thomas and Sam Burns and Will Zalatoris and 
Cam Young and Davis Riley, and the list goes on and on and on. All these guys that have been through that, that have played for their lives, they come here with this opportunity and they're, they're hardened veterans, right? They've been there. They've been under the pressure. And that's very different than what James Pyatt is going through on live. James Pyatt's going over there and he, he's going to make enough to be secure. And so what's the, what's the real test for his game? Um, and, and I think it's a very different test and we'll have to see how that plays out than what the guys that do go through the corn Ferry tour, even though it's not advantageous, it's a really good investment into your, into your career. If you aspire and if you really believe you can be, um, a, you know, a, a great player on, on tour, but also like who among us when we were 23, wouldn't have said, uh, if presented with the opportunity, like, do you want to grind for 10 years and maybe become rich or do you want to be rich next, next week? Right. Well, I mean, how many of us put through the grind to go to medical school or not, not, none of well, us. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> so I, there are I, things I, you could grind through to have great results when you're young. It's really hard to do that. It's a great point. I just think that, uh, again, I'm not, pro live golf i do think they presented a product this week that made me say hell yeah like that was awesome uh not about their league or their people but about the the way that they presented a five-hour round and if and if you had i mean listen if you had a if you had the 48 best in the world playing golf courses that were really good and you had teams that I was personally uh, and emotionally invested in, and t- a team captain that didn't have stupid names, a team captain by Justin Thomas uh, dropped um, Ricky Fowler and added Will Zalatoris. I mean, that, that sentence that I just said would be like three podcasts and 10 articles. It would be, it would be fascinating, right? And so like... I just, I don't, we don't have to go too far down this road, but I think live like legitimately presented a product that I am, I am way into. And if you brought the Finau, JT, Rory, Sam Burns, Scheffler, all that crew that was playing the Canadian open and you put it on top of something like, or I guess you put live on top of that field and those guys and all that stuff. And there were, there was a team aspect involved, man, I, I don't know. I, I think I'd be way, way, like way more into it than I ever thought I would be. What would uh, Justin Thomas's team name be? <laughs> the low spinners. The uh, team Grayson. The Wolves. They would def- all. By the way, all the teams would just be like tailor made. Uh, which Cal- which which <laughs> sounds stupid, but then when you look at Ferrari and McLaren and Red Bull and they right. have like a ton of fans, you're like, Oh, this actually like, yeah, it, I think it works. I, I don't know if it should. I don't know if I like that, but I think it actually does work. I think it does too. Um, so to put a bow on this, because we got, I mean, we still have a million things to talk about. Roy McElroy, 1900 par wins the RBC Canadian open gets his 21st career victory. Tony Finau finishes solo second thanks to draining a bomb on 18, two shots back. Justin Thomas finishes uh, two shots back of that solo third. Greg, did you see there was kind of a um, elongated hug between Justin Thomas and Rory McElroy after that round that felt like two 
heavyweights that just went at it for 18 holes with a lot of respect and a lot of a lot of good feels in that moment. Uh, yeah, and every, everybody's feeling good. I mean, Justin Thomas makes two bogeys coming down the stretch, and uh, that that's a little disappointing. But he knows he just shot 64 in the final group with Rory McIlroy, who just shot 62. And there's no way that you're playing around a golf shooting 64 and 62 and not having fun, right? Not appreciating what the other guy's doing. That's a, it's an extremely memorable round of golf that I think will go a long way for both of those guys. Um, and, and ultimately with what they both stand for and some of the comments that they've made in favor of the PGA tour, I think they understand the importance of that, uh, of that round. They understand the importance of that event. Um, and in a way, I think it brought the PGA tour closer together. The, the players have uh, very clear leaders at, at the top of the PGA tour, which is, I think, ex- extremely important. The- uh, I got a, I got a quote here for you. From Rory. Have you seen this? I don't know what you're going to say. My wife does that all the time. My wife goes, <laughs> my wife goes, hey, Rick, so Billy or Bobby or whatever, like, so, oh, wait, did I, did I tell you this already? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't heard enough yeah. of it. <laughs> right. You tell me or not. <laughs> not enough information. Uh, so he, <laughs> I apologize. Uh, he said, we have that embrace on the final green, and I just, Rick's going to die when he hears this. And I just said, let's do this all again next week. That's what I said to him. So that would be cool to be able to do it all over again with him. I love these two so much. I'm not even gonna, like they are just <laughs> the best. You, I mean, world class golfers just sticking their necks out for the organization or whatever they believe in, and then backing it up. Like it, amazing, amazing. I love so it. the the twenty the twenty five club twenty PGA Tour wins five majors. Byron Nelson, Phil, Lee Trevino, Palmer, Sneed, Sarazen, Watson, Player, Hogan, Hagen, Woods, Nicholas, and if Rory wins next week, he's in it. Oh, God. I will That's just explore. Big, big, big boy stuff. Wow. <gasps> Gives me I mean, is that, le- is that legacy or what? <laughs> Hell yeah. That's going to be... The- I mean, it's, it's sick. Is that legacy or what is going to be the new tag? <laughs> <laughs> Rory, uh, Rory, Rory has a real chance to get to the 36 club. So he's at 21 and four right now. The 36 club is Phil Palmer, Sneed, Sarah and Watson, Hogan, Hagen, Tiger, Jack. That's it. Yikes. That's there, there's not one on there that you say, well, they were, they were a nice player. It's so, it's so good. Legends. Uh, we had a hell of a scorecard from Justin Rose. Shot a 10 mm. out of 60 that featured three eagles and three bogeys, including Greg bogeying 18, which uh, has never happened since we started getting hold by hold data. So Justin Ray tells us that hold by hold data has been available for every round of 60 since 1990. Rose is the only player in that group to bogey his final hole of the round. Oh. Ah, killer. I mean, this is, it it was so cool to watch because you have Justin Rose just shot 60 and he's extremely disappointed, (laughs) right? It's like, it's a disappointing 60, which if he had shot, if all of those Eagles were birdies, uh, so that'd be what that puts him at 63 and all of the bogeys were pars. He, shoot, he still shoots 60. It's a, it's probably a, 
very different reaction. Or if you just made a par at 18, <laughs> if you made a par at 18 for 60 or for 61, it, it, he'd be extremely happy. Birdie at 18 for 61, he'd be, it'd be like the most fun he's ever had on the golf course, like Rory at the Masters. It, it's just amazing how the flows of a round can change the way you feel about it. Um, but it was cool to see him go. He, he just kept on going when he turned to the second nine. I was a little, a little worried he'd stall out because there's a lot of pressure when you get close to that, that number. Uh, and he, he just kept going. I thought for sure he was going to shoot 59 after 15. I mean, the, Nick Faldo said he was on 57 watch. Yeah, he was at, he was at 11 under, which is 59 when he holed out on 15. So three holes to go, you're like, oh man, he he pars them all. He shoots a 59. It's on 57 watch. You know, if he goes a little bit lower, he could have got the 54 million dollars from the live guys. <laughs> I said that on. Uh, I think I responded to somebody. I think it's maybe no one up on Twitter where it said he's on 57 watch. I said, does he get 57 million? Like, is that a is that a thing? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, his 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 card is crazy. He had so few fours. I'm just going to read his. He had two, three, three, four, three, 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 six, three, 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 four, three, five. That's insane. It it had, had two fours, two fours, two fours, and a five and a six. And one of the that fours is, was a bogey. <laughs> that is weird. That is a weird card. If he if he would have made par and shot a 59, it would have been the first sub-60 round on the PGA Tour by a European player, which is kind of interesting. It would have been the first 60 rounds on the PGA Tour with three Eagles. It would have been the first sub-60 round with a six on the scorecard, and it would have been the first sub-60 round with multiple bogeys. All of those, uh, I believe, are from Justin. I just now give Justin Red credit for every stat that we can find. But uh, that it would, it would have been a – how come a, a European has never shot a sub-60 round? That's kind of amazing. That is amazing. Uh, and this is like the 29th craziest thing that happened this week, right? In a normal week, this would be like top three. By the way, is it a normal sport thing that a European is leading the, like, is the face of the American tour and three Americans are the face of the Saudi Arabian tour? <laughs> I think that is a normal sport thing. Volume two is going to be 900. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, oh, uh, the other thing that stood out to me about this leaderboard. So you, so, uh, Rose, he, what did he gain? Eight, eight and a half strokes on Sunday. Yeah. Something like that. So Finau gained four and a half per round. And that's usually more than enough to win a normal, like a regular PGA tour event. Right. I think Rory gained over five, which is like 20 for the week, which is like, pretty it's not rare but it doesn't happen every week for sure and i wanted to point that out about fino because it was a uh it was a great week from him too he's been playing really good golf t4 at colonial and then second here i i bet him for next week uh yesterday morning it's a good play yeah we'll see okay gents we we got we got more. Big J broke his silence. That's Jay Monahan. We've got to get uh, Greg's been fuming all afternoon about the shotgun start. So we're gonna have to pick his brain about that. We've got to declare U.S. Open week. We've got to go through our bets. Bets. We got to talk one and done. Lots more coming. But first, we're gonna take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. And we're back. A little bit of uh, inside baseball. We were backstage. We were chit chatting about live golf. We were like, oh, the shotgun start. Yada yada yada. That's interesting. Greg started on this. 
just absolute diatribe of why he hates the shotgun start. And we had to say, wait, 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 Let, let's just talk about this on the podcast, Greg. So the, the shotgun start, not, not vibing with you. Take the, take the four, four is yours. Well, I'll start with something that may surprise you. Um, a shotgun start is a rare opportunity for a walk-off hole-in-one. It doesn't <laughs> you- happen every week. I did accomplish that in a shotgun start. So um, <laughs> this, is, this is not a biased opinion. I also I think that shotgun starts are perfect for events that don't have a lot of meaning. Um, but if you look back to the oldest major championship, Right, the most traditional of of majors. Maybe that's arguable, but the Open Championship won't even do split tees because the golf course is designed to be played in an order, uh, and and the order and the layout of the holes has a real meaning. Uh, Augusta National at one point had uh, the nines were reversed. Can you imagine if hole number twelve was hole number three? Right, Amen Corner wouldn't be Amen Corner. It would be completely different. So where that sits in the course of a of a golf course, it's it's extremely important. If 17 at TPC Sawgrass is your first hole of the day, that is completely different than your second to last. Um, it, it changes dramatically. So I do think there's a real value uh, in in the order of the holes that are played. And I am a golf traditionalist, so I like the fact that the Open Championship starts one through 18. Uh, I think I think there's real merit to that. I, I think it really means something. Um, and then and then the other thing is I, I think having the having players at different stages in the round is a really important aspect to me. Well, you have somebody who can post that changes the outcome of the that changes the attitude of the, for the leaders. It changes the flow in this. So I, I think that's an, that's also important. If somebody's on the hole in front of you who makes a huge birdie putt uh, on seventeen. And you're sitting back there, and you, maybe you don't even know it, it, that it, it was a birdie putt, maybe maybe a par putt. Like when, ironically, when Greg Norman was at Wingfoot and made a 20 footer uh, on the uh, on on the 18th green, and was it Fuzzy Zeller waving the waving the flag in in the in the fairway because he thought it was birdie, thought he lost. Uh, only come to find out that it was a it was a putt for par. So I, I think the order that holes are played, I think the um, being in the final group plays a major role, and I think it affects the outcome of the tournament. So I am anti-shotgun start, um, although the one good thing is you can have a walk-off hole-in-one. Yeah. I'm way in on the shotgun start. It sounds stupid. I And even this time last week, I was like, this is stupid. But then I watched it, and I think it's super compelling because, and Rick and I probably talked about this on Thursday, but these days are so long and listen, like I don't, I don't need it for the masters. I don't need it for the open championship. Don't, don't bring it to my majors like that. Leave those alone. But for the, I don't know, even like Bay Hill, if I can get everything in five hours and you've got, I thought this this sounds ridiculous. I thought the most compelling thing that live golf did was that little countdown, how many holes are left in the top left of the, of the uh, broadcast on YouTube. There's a good way to display it. It gives a sense of like, um, like oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you, when when there's um, like a lot, like a, there's a scarcity. Oh, we've only got three holes left. Like what's you know, like what's going on? And 
I, I just I like that. He gave it, it it made it more uh compelling, it made it more fast paced, it made it more I just felt more of a need to tune in than oh, this is on for 14 hours a day. Uh I can just kind of pop in and out at any time. I, I, I felt I felt more compelled toward that just because you had that little number of like that was counting down all day. Maybe that's dumb. Maybe I'm the sucker here. But I thought the shotgun start was was especially for what we do in, in our jobs, actually very compelling. I like it because it's efficient, right? I hate going to PGA tour events, or I mean it's not limited to the PGA tour, basically just golf tournaments where for the first two hours, no one has played hole number eight yet or hole right. number seven yet. And everyone's standing around waiting for them to get there. And I just like the idea of being efficient. I do worry, Greg, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not a golf purist, but I know that like an album, uh, they're supposed to be played in a specific order, right? And a musician would want you to play their album in a specific order. That's why it's, it's constructed that way. But not that I, you would know, Rick. No, I wouldn't, but I'm just aware that something anti-music. like music could happen. You're uh, anti-music? I'm not, I'm not anti-music. I just don't really listen to music. <laughs> I'm with you. I, I don't really listen to music either. I listen to instrumental when I'm writing and yeah. I will, I, I do like some music, but it, all my friends are not all my friends, but a lot of my friends are like super into music. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't even understand the reference. Like Chuck Klosterman wrote the nine, like Chuck Klosterman writes a lot about music and I read it cause he's a beautiful writer, but I don't understand any of it. Like I don't get it at all. Yeah. Music doesn't make me feel anything. So I, I do listen to instrumental. So actually the soundtrack from the social network, has Ooh. this like if you wanna if you wanna get stuff done and work, play that. It'll it'll mine play. is uh I like the interstellar soundtrack. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a that's a really good one. And then there's one called like sad instrumental music on Spotify. And I like that one. I it sounds it sounds absurd, but I, I genuinely like it's like good for like wanting to like feel something while I'm writing. <laughs> oh, to make you feel something. Uh I like that. Sorry about, for the interruption, Rick. That's, that's okay. I, I just um, I, I just think that there's a lot of positives for basically for the broadcast and for keeping people interested if you can close the window of time that it takes to play around. Whether that is less players, whether it is a shotgun start, whether it's only doing it on Thursday and Friday and then going back to your regular uh, – I, I don't know. I just think there are definitely pros that come out of broadcasting for – five and a half hours a day instead of 14. Well, it, one thing is it, it, the only way it can work is if you have a limited field. So bringing yes. it to the, bringing it to the PGA tour would be, it'd be problematic. I mean, if you've yes. been, like I've worked at uh, uh, clubs and club member guests and club championships and shotgun starts for uh, Monday outings can be a nightmare. Um, when, when you start having, well, they're starting on seven B it's oh. it's uh it's problematic so i don't think that you can do it with a full field a limited field event it, it can work i already outlined some of the problems i have with it but um but i also think that the full field is one thing that makes the field strong it's one thing that makes it count a little more um and and it typically brings us the the best action so i majors are at least close to full field events um so anyway yeah, I think I, I think I, I think I like the limited. Like you were talking earlier about how um, the minor leagues. So this is true in like take baseball for example. If you're in AAA, you're making 
I don't know, a thousand bucks a month. That I have no idea if that's right, but it, it's something preposterously small. Right. Yeah. And and if you're one level up, just one tiny level up, you're making nine hundred k a year, or whatever. Eight. I don't. I don't know what the minimum salary is, but it's, it like I I that's that's why it's it's the same thing with like the premier league if you're a premier league team you make all the money if you're just one, if you get relegated you make none of the money you know and and i think that if you have the if you have like man if you had 48 guys and uh let's say i don't know give me like a let's say matt fitzpatrick is having a bad year and he's like 47th going into the last event you're like man matt matt, matt fitzpatrick is a bad example because he's not super cared about oh, ricky fowler over the last few years where he went from like a top five player in the world and dropping down people are, people would be like oh my gosh ricky fowler is about to get relegated like that's a in the regular season of golf that would be a big deal and you would just have all this like kind of built-in drama i don't know i've just and maybe it's maybe it's the way that live golf has implemented or whatever. But I think a lot of what they did this week is, is what I would love to see on the PGA tour in the future. I don't know if that's the way it's going to go. I don't know if you can get into like a copycat. I don't know if you want to get into a copycat war with a, with a foreign government that has $600 billion, but man, I, I think it would be, uh, I think it, that f- everything that they've done would be really intriguing and applied in the right way with the right fields. Average AAA salary, about fifteen grand. Okay, so like twelve hundred a month. Major league minimum, five seven. Oh, okay, that's smaller than I thought. I mean, I'd take it, but um, to you, what you were saying earlier, Kyle, about nine hundred or a thousand a month. My my cousin was playing in a minor league soccer, professional soccer, and he was making seven hundred dollars a month, which was I mean. Well, they, I mean, you they they put you up and you're yeah, basically living in a dorm room, right? And you have meals and you're on the bus with the team, so you, the, you know your expenses are covered, but you you're making nothing. Yeah, um, and, and it weeds you out. You can only do that for so long, so you don't have 35 year old career minor league players because eventually you either have it or you don't, because um, you can't afford to you can't afford to stay there. You'd have you lifers if if you, they made more. You do with you do have that more so with golf, right? Because you, well, you can you, make you can make a living on the Corn Ferry Tour. Yeah, or you can uh, pop up for a year and then go back down and then pop up and right. I don't know. There's there's arguments to be made for both. Like the there's there's a million arguments to be made. We've made a ton of them this week. I don't know if we want to do want to move on to like. Well, we're going to make some more. Yeah, we'll move on here in just a second. Uh, Dave in Calgary comments says, these guys complain golf is 14 hours, but 99% of fans only watch for the last two or three. Yeah, that's literally the point. <laughs> you just made the point, Dave. Congrats. You found it. I don't think you were looking for it. You found it. Good job. Uh, two more defectors. Traders. Uh, that's a little aggressive. Defectors, I guess we'll go with. Uh, Patrick Reed. Bryson DeChambeau, we knew this was coming, Greg, but now officially official that they will be teeing it up in Portland. Yep. Um, It's their prerogative. Uh, Good for them, I guess. It's something they've wanted to do. It it doesn't sit right with me when uh, when Bryson comes out and says he's going to stay. I mean, I know we all took it as half-hearted as it is, 
but I mean, the words are just, they, they're so flimsy, which is really to me emblematic of the, of the league. When I say that there's nothing really behind it, um, it's purpose, which I think Jacob has made some great points about the league's purpose. Uh, and that, and that creates a lot of issues. Um, but, but it's, it's disappointing to see guys just kind of lie to you and say they're, they're not going to go. And then they do. And when Bryson came out and said it, he said, as long as the best players are on the PGA tour, then that's where I'll be. And now a very short time later, ironically, after an injury, um, he's gone. So I, it's very concerning to me. And for Patrick Reed, uh, I'm not, I'm not really surprised at all. And I don't think anybody is makes it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think he'll fit in nicely. Well, speaking of that, you, you, you sort of have, I mean, this week was interesting because I don't want to get too deep into this cause it's not always going to go this way, but it feels a little like, and people who follow wrestling will understand this reference. I don't, I don't, I don't follow wrestling. I don't know even what I'm talking about here, but you have like a villains tour, which I think is what ha- has happened in or ha- happened in the past in wrestling. You've got all these villains that have gone to live golf. I don't know if that was on purpose. I don't know if that's just how it played out. Uh, Bryson's a villain. Reed is a villain. Uh, DJ is not a villain, really. Uh, who else? Sergio Poulter. Poulter, if you're a an American Ryder Cup fan, is a Poulter, big Sergio, and Sergio can be a villain. Phil, I think it, I don't know that he's a villain, but I think. Some people might look at him that way, if especially if you're comparing like him and Tiger, right? Uh, and so it's like the villains tour against the JT and Rory tour, like the guys that everybody lo- or I think most people love. And that's super interesting. The other point that I was going to make, I said this on Twitter on Saturday, Henny Duplessis making $2.1 million, which is more than 213 out of the 253 guys that have made any money on the PGA Tour this year. That's a that's a problem, and that's a problem for the tour. It's a problem for golf fans because they ha- you ha- listen. You have to understand. You have to realize that when Henny Duplessis is making two point one million dollars, there is no business plan. There is no like there. There's not a um, there's not a path forward that doesn't involve. Uh, the subsidization of your golf league. And when things are subsidized, there's always a, oh, but you, you also have to do this, right? Because when, when, when you're subsidizing something, you like that, whoever is subsidizing it is owed, like thinks they're believes that they're owed something. And when that happens, it, it might not come right away. It might not be in a week or a month or a year, but man, that bill comes due at some point, And I don't know what that's going to look like. That bill comes due. How about that? I was actually, um, I was maybe not surprised, but I was, I was happy to see that CBS, Greg, they, they addressed it, right? They addressed it. They called it out basically from the top, I think on Saturday's coverage and then had Jay Monahan on Sunday uh, to, to talk about it. And uh, they, they really just took it head on. Yeah. um, And they reported the, the facts. Um, you had Jay give his thoughts, which I uh, appreciated, and I, I think it goes a long way. I know, it, I know, he took some criticism and t- on Twitter, which I mean, who doesn't? Who hasn't? Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Is that what Twitter was built for? Uh, I it seems like that. 
It seems like that. Um, but look, I think ultimately Commissioner Monahan is in a very difficult spot. We've outlined this, right? You're going up against a sovereign nation who has, to Kyle's point, and I think this is brilliant. I, I think that Kyle and Jacob have made two points that a lot of people miss that really shape this entire league. One is, as Jacob's pointed out so many times, the purpose is not to make money. They can lose money for eternity. Um, their purposes are elsewhere. Their, their goals are elsewhere. And what Kyle said is there's no business model here, right? This is not a viable business model. And those two things shape what the league is about, where, where you know, Commissioner Monaghan, Commissioner Fincham, and all the, all, everyone who's been a commissioner of the PGA Tour, they've worked to build relationships based on real things like ROI. Uh, based on things that uh, based on a business model, right? We have a responsibility to our stakeholders. We have a responsibility to sponsors. We have a responsibility to a lot of people who uh, who are involved and make this tour happen. And that's a an equity that's built up over time. So every dollar that the PGA Tour spends is earned um, in one way or another. And the competition has not earned any of it and doesn't have to earn any of it. Uh, for their for their own business, right? I mean, you could say that the what Saudi Arabia does is earning earning money. You could say that, um, but Live Golf doesn't didn't have to go out and raise money, right? They they came together with somebody with a very clear intention, and they have an unlimited well of of money now, and that's that's extremely concerning. I, I think it's concerning for the product, I, um, and I, I just think that um, Kyle. And Jacob have been very good on that point. And it, it's a really important aspect of this that um, I think really complicates things. Yeah, I think there's two ways to look at the product of it. One is that if you don't have a business plan, then you're not incentivized to care about the customer. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But then the other way to look at it is like, if you don't have a if you don't need to have a business plan, you don't have to show commercials and you don't have to do all the things that sort of gets in the way of the customer's experience. So I'm really conflicted about, I don't know which way that's going to go. The first week it went the latter way where they didn't show commercials. But I think in the long term, it's like, man, if you're not incentivized at all to care about your customers, I think the tour has done a, I think the tour has done a bad job of trying to make its customer base too wide and not um, in, in lieu of making it deeper. Like the tour it should be going deep with fewer people and not wide with all the people, I think. And um, so, yeah, that was just one point I wanted to make about the way that a non, like a entity that doesn't have a business plan, could um, interact with its customers going into the future. And doesn't that just put the PGA Tour in an impossible spot? Like yes. one of the I mean, biggest complaints is commercials and, and they don't have to do that. It, it's not a, a fair, it's not a fair fight, right? It's not a fair competition. Totally. And, because and it's, it's like, it's, it's like, well, spot. you, okay. The thing that we lack is money. Well, how do you get money? Well, you squeeze it out of your customers who then don't hate, then hate your, you know, like it's just, it, listen, like did Jay Monahan do a very good job this week? I don't. I don't personally think that he did. I thought he could have been uh, more present, and he, it felt like he kind of rolled Rory and JT out there to speak. In that, that's not. I don't think that's what he was doing. But 
man, like somebody's coming after your league. Like you got to, I felt like you needed to be out there more. And I, I thought that was a little disappointing, but at the same time, part of me, I don't know about you, about you guys. All of my friends who are like tangentially interested in golf have been like, dude, what's going on? And I'm like, well, how much time do you have? Because yeah. we could talk about this all day. Uh, but the thing that I tell them is like, I don't even like, what do you want him or the tour to do? It's an inequitable. Uh, you're, you're talking about inequitable business, inequitable businesses. Like it's not, you're not even like comparing apples to apples. It's like apples to tangerines. It's not even the same thing. And I just don't know, like, do I want to see more fight from him in the tour? For sure. Do I want to see things changed up and me as a fan sort of like cared about more or whatever? I think there's a ton of room for that. Rick and I have talked about that a lot, but at, at, like in the same breath, I have to sort of turn around and say like, but also like they've got $600 billion and they're going to get everything that $600 billion can buy. You know, if, if that, I mean, they tried to buy Tiger, whatever, whoever can be bought, they will get. And that's a difficult thing to go up against. Uh, apples and tangerines can be compared quite easily. They're both hand <laughs> round fruits. Horrible, that's- horrible analogy. And elephants. A little bit harder to um, uh, real quick. We got to move on, but I, I, Kyle, that is why I do like the idea of making a smaller, more passionate fan base that will not leave you. That will give you more money. Like they're like having less, but raving fans is mm-hmm. how you build something special that it, when you can't defend it any other way, that's how you have to defend. That's why. yeah. It's, it's, um, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to think of an example. Um, uh, I think I think the first cut is an example of that. <laughs> Seriously, like the the first cut has grown because there are people that really care about it. There are people that watch every episode. They yeah. watch on YouTube. They interact. They really care about it. Um, and and it's a it, it's something strong because the people that care care a lot. Not that there's a a million of them, right? There's however many there are, they really care. And I, I think that's really valuable. It is. Uh, gentlemen, I think I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm just going to declare it us open week right now. Let's go. Yeah, baby. Oh, are we ready for this? The country club. We're ready. I'm we're not. Ready. <laughs> well, we'll eventually get there. Caesar Sportsbook has the odds. Jacob, do we have it? Hmm. If we don't, I can read them. Scotty Scheffler, the favorite, 11 to 1. Rory McElroy, after his victory at the RBC Canadian Open, 12 to 1, with Justin Thomas and John Rahm both at 14. Camp Smith rounds out the golfers that are 20 uh, that are sub 20 to 1. And then you can get CM, that's Colin Morikawa, at exactly 20 to 1. Greg, oh boy, the big boys are playing well. We're going to one of the oldest courses in the world now, United States. Wow, let's go. Yeah, this is um, it's pretty cool. And I think it's a, another great city that has missed golf a little bit, kind of like the nation of Canada. Uh, and I think you're going to get a very energetic fan base at this event. And they're going to be really excited to see Rory and really excited to see Justin Thomas and John Rahm and everybody that you see on that board there. So it's going to be a really cool environment. And these guys are playing really well. Um, the one guy that stands out to me is all the way at the bottom, Xander Shoffley, who's played in five U.S. Opens, and all five of them are top tens. And I 
I, I'm not sure yet if this golf course is going to allow the the Bryson DeChambeau model to work. Uh, it seems like it's a little more rugged around the edges, um, which is kind of open championship esque. And I oh, think yeah. this might give us like a more classic U.S. Open, um, other different than what we've had in the last five years, where big strong guys have really stepped up. So um, I'm I'm excited to see this. But my feel right now is it's going to be a little more classic. I think that brings a Colin Morikawa into the fray, I, um, and and a Xander Shoffley big time. Yeah, I think I, so, go KB, ahead, Rick. here because I think there's a, a level of creativity that's going to be required around the country club. There's a guy at 22 to one named Jordan Spieth that I think has quite a bit of creativity. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I'm glad you said that, Craig, because obviously I've done no research. I, I need there's some videos out there. I think uh, maybe the fried egg did one on yeah. the country. Club. The, crash, the crash course is the fried egg has one where they sit down with Gil Hans, which is an unbelievable uh, intro into the country club and then golf digest has their drone every shot or every hole at series if you will do those two it's like the absolute best crash course into what we're going to see this week so i th- i i love to hear what craig said because i don't i don't want the brawny sort of um the tory pines experience it, it, it was a great us open great ending great final day but that i want more of the kind of classic us open to take place. So I love hearing that from Greg. I, and I don't know. I, I, I do think Morikawa is super interesting at 20 to one. If that's, if that's the case, Shane Lowry has been playing great, great, oh, yeah. great golf at 28 to one speed. You mentioned speed, Rick. I don't, I don't love him at a classic U S open. He won that weird U S open at chambers. <laughs> I will say he's a different player now because he's driving the hell out of it and he's hitting it straighter than he ever has. Um, so that does there. I think there is a little bit of hope there. I, I over the last couple of years, if you look at Spieth's Wikipedia page, the U.S. Open is the one, and also watch him play U.S. Opens. That's the one where I'm like, I don't know if he's going to win another one of those. Like, I just don't know if that's if that's it um, with the way he was driving it. But because he's been driving it better, I do think there's there is a little bit of. It, I mean, you said Open Championship style, Greg. That's that's speed. Like that's where he thrives. That's where he plays best. So yeah. Obviously, Fitzpatrick will be popular this week, but I don't know. I need to do I need to do some research on Monday to to kind of get up to date. But I'm I'm so fired up. I'm so excited about it. Going up there on Tuesday. Rick's getting in on what Wednesday? Thursday morning. I'm taking the red eye Wednesday night. Oh. So I'm, I'm coming in hot, baby. Yeah, right you off are coming in hot. To wherever I need to be on that golf course. I'll yeah, be up there too. By the way. Oh. oh. Yeah. Well, yep. Uh, what breaking day? news? What day is? Uh, I'm getting up there Monday night. Um, okay. I have a couple of little events that I'm doing and oh, wow. I'll be there uh, pretty much at the country club Thursday through Sunday. Uh, I'll be there straight, you know, around the, around the clock. Straight so by may, yeah. This may be a unique opportunity for a face to face first cut. Jacob's going to be there. So we have never, so I've met, I've seen Jacob and Kyle in, in real life, but have we ever had like three of us in the same spot at the same time before? Who's the, who's the designated survivor? Is it the coach? <laughs> if things go awry at Brookline, this is dangerous. Coach is now. <laughs> Seven days a week with the coach. Hey, that's, that's awesome. I'm, I've, I love majors. I, I wrote an article on Thursday. Um, that's some people that yeah, I just, 
everything that's happened this week makes the major weeks feel that much more valuable and that much more important and that much more special. And I think, I hope that next week is sort of a sense of that after the week that we've had this week. <sighs> just inject this one, right? And I watched uh, the greatest game ever played last night just to make sure yeah. I was totally prepped for my for, for Francis. We met. The house is still there. I guess you can go see the house you grew up in right across the street. A house that Francis built? The house that Francis built. That's right. <laughs> uh, all right, gents. One final thing to do here. We got to do our best bets. We got to do our one and done stuff. We will go through that. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. And we're back. Best bets. Sia, the mush, loses. Adam Hadwin, top 20, down the drain. Uh, Mark's top South African, Dean Burmeester, that is a loser. Um, this one this one kind of was tough <laughs> because I had my, my on-the-show pick was Patrick Reed over Keith Mitchell. However, Patrick mm. Reed threw, although Keith Mitchell played well, so I probably would have lost that anyway. I switched it via text to Rasmus Hoygaard. Top 20, miss the cut. Just no no finger on the pulse of this one. Yeah, that's uh that's disappointing. That, I, I don't I don't like those weeks where you leave and you feel like you had just you, you all your analysis was just it, it was wrong. That's always disappointing. Not that all of it was, Rick. I'm just saying. Mm, thank you. Been Coach, there. Coach and KP, you guys went with the same matchup and you did the thing. You picked the guy who won. In a matchup, minus 130, Rory McIlroy over Cam Smith. Yep. Uh, where did Cam finish? I was following him because he was my one and done, which sucks, but I well, didn't see where he was. make the cut, and then he shot 68-71 to finish T-48. Oh, great. He shot like 76 on the first day or something? He didn't, make a, he didn't make a birdie for like the first time in his career, I thought I saw. 76, 65, <laughs> quite a quite our first two rounds, and then 68, 71. So I'm glad that this hit. I'm bummed about my my one and done, though. Well, we can get to that point. So Jacob, let's just let's just reveal this. Um oh, okay. Wow. Sia and Jacob actually did pretty well. Matt Fitzpatrick, 219,675. Third time's the charm, Jacob. The third time that Sia tries to mush you, you finally got through and got a couple hundred K. Yeah, I yeah. think this is uh, declaring an avoidance of the Sia mush. I mean, your ceiling with Matt Fitzpatrick is not a win, which we just have to accept. So, I mean, I'll, I'll take it, 200K. It's disappointing that Coach still got more with Corey Connors. Uh, he did what I think is a very square move and just take a Canadian at the Canadian Open. But, you know, whatever. It didn't work, but Coach is still first loser. We're all losers. Mark's, Mark had a bye, and he's still fine. Yeah, so those who missed it, uh, we had to reveal to Mark on Tuesday that the man he picked, Johnny Vegas, he had already chosen. Then he tried to follow up via text and say, I did not take Johnny Vegas at the AT&T. And we had to say, scroll down the other AT&T event. Uh -huh. <laughs> that, that was really funny. <laughs> Beautiful. That was, that, was, that was very enjoyable. <laughs> uh, KP, as you know, to Cam Smith, he got you 22,568. Whatever. I thought if Terrell Haddon would play better, that's got to be a bummer for you. I, I was in on him this week. I, I thought he would be like a top top 10, top 15. The fans and I took big fat zeros with Terrell Hatton, who 
refuses to find a golf course on this planet that he enjoys playing. <laughs> I can't wait to see what he says about the country club. Oh, he's going to blast he's it. He's going to desecrate that place. Uh, he's killing me. He's killing me. Zero bucks there. Um, Greg, you might have gotten, you know, the rumors have, you know, been flying about uh, Bryson and Reed and and then Bubba and Varn and like a lot of the names that we thought or have played in the Saudi International have have defected to the Live Golf Tour. You might have gotten like the last 160,000 available from Harold Varner. I squeezed it all out. <laughs> um, off, yeah, off the bat, he doesn't actually go and I'm here just like ribbing him for going. Yeah, he I mean, we'll see what happens. But um uh it was a it was a good week. I mean, again, you get a T thirteen out of HV three. He's shown his ceiling isn't winning either, um, and at least here. So it's it's very interesting. Um, the the second round was so disappointing because I was pumped up when he shot sixty five in the opening round. I said I knew it. I told you, this is my week, and I also thought I'd be the only one to play him, which I was. So I thought that would give me a, a you know a big jump up the leaderboard, but I di- I didn't pass anybody. So I'm a little bit disappointed, but you know, it, it's a better week for me. It's my best week in a while. Uh, so I'm, I'm mildly happy about that. I wouldn't even be upset with HP three because him only having to play 54 holes seems like a really great deal, but I'm bummed. <laughs> Is that not good? There's something. Oh, there's something there. <laughs> uh, coach wins the week. Corey Connors, 315,000 despite, Coming in in second place and earning the most money, he is still quick math six to two point six million behind Mark. Now, gents, a lot of money on the line uh, next week. I think there's like two point. What do we think? Two point seven up top. Is that is it that much? I think it. Uh, I think it is two point. I'm gonna look. Uh, it's more than Henny Duplessis made for second place at the Live Golf event. What did Henny uh, point two point two five in twenty one, which I believe is happening again. Was it a twelve? What was the purse? Twelve. Twelve five. Twelve five. I bet it goes up this year. I bet it's. I bet it's like fifteen. It's been two point two five the last three years. Where's Where's our inflation on these? I bet things? they go to. Okay. I bet they go to fifteen. They have to. Don't you think it's crazy? Didn't the Masters just announce it on like Friday? They were like, "Yeah, we're just gonna do 15." <laughs> the Masters probably didn't even announce. They probably just like sent it out, just <laughs> sent the money out. They they don't <laughs> they don't take time to they don't yeah. It's about uh, history, Jake, producer Jacob is is yeah. just chomping at the bit here. Come in here, Jacob. Jacob is telling us. So we have a private chat for those of you who, who aren't aware, and Jacob's uh, gonna take us out on what he believes to be. Oh, he doesn't say it's a hot take. He just says it's a take. I look, look a little in and out cat just tries to climb on top of me right now. I've been a little in and out of Twitter this week, but I just want to go on record. So the live golf league, did I hear correctly that there's a rule that you start your round with 14 clubs, you end your round with 14 clubs, regardless of like how a club gets damaged. Correct. Then they mention that on like the Thursday broadcast right in the beginning. I, Wait, I, what? What? I, what, I, what? I, I on mute. I don't know. Like if you break a club, you get thrown out of the tournament or what? No, the opposite. Like if your club gets damaged, it doesn't matter how it gets damaged, which Uh, is like, and I believe that's a modification to a local rule. I could have swore I heard this. And if that is the case, then that has to confirm Matthew Wolf to live because there's just like, 
There's no other way that you would have that rule except for to encourage guys to like slam clubs, break them in anger, get it for the dramatic video and have zero consequences whatsoever for actually damaging a club. So I don't know if that takes been put out there before, but you know, it has I'm on it. Remember Sergio when too. Rory threw his club in Dural, in the lake at Doral and somebody fished it out and Rory and Trump are on the driving range talking about it the next day. How, does that feel like a hundred years ago or 200 years ago? <laughs> that is, that, that, How that's much like, changed since that, that moment. That was an indifferent like reality. It feels like. Yeah. Yes. What we're in. It was, tw- it was pre, uh, it was it was pre presidency, right? It was twenty fifteen or fourteen, thirteen. Doral was, like was a of, long time ago. I mean, Pat, my, when Patrick Reed won there, he was rather young. Yeah, it was one of my first years covering golf, and that just feels like, yeah, a different dimension. Like it's un, un, it feels like science fiction at this point. March March of uh, Twenty fifteen. Here you go. Kyle Porter wrote an article for CBSSports.com, March eighth, twenty fifteen, at two thirty eight p.m. Eastern Time. Rory McIlroy fittingly ended Doral with a oh with a fake club toss and chip in. Yeah, was that, that was the next day. Yeah, oh, the next no, day. it was the next day. Yeah, got it. So he must have done it March seventh. Yeah, I think that's right. And somebody had fished it out of the lake and. And uh, Trump like pr- Trump like brought it up, like presented it to him on the driving range. And you're like, at the time, it was like kind of goofy and weird. And now looking back, you're like, that that does not feel like it, like real life, like it actually happened. He he memorial mem- memorialized it. What's that word? Memorialized. Thank you. It's framed. <laughs> it's framed at Doral, the three iron. And there's a plaque that says the club that Rory McIlroy threw into the lake on the eighth hole of the famed blue monster course at Trump National Doral during the WGC Cadillac Championship. Maybe we'll get maybe we'll get a like a segment on it during the live golf finale when they go to Doral this year. OK, can maybe I say you- sorry, Jacob? Oh, I was going to say maybe it's like how Augusta asks every everyone to donate a club from their win like maybe maybe at the live Doral event someone's got to toss a club into the lake just like Rory did (laughs) that's hilarious if I showed up at my fantasy football draft and the commissioner said guys great news we're gonna play for the largest fantasy football purse ever I'm gonna make you so rich it's gonna be amazing also that team over there is already set and that team over there is only picking one player I'd be like, and, uh, guys, what the what one, the hell is going on here? And one of them wins, and one of and they run away with it. You you would quit the league. That is shenanigans. Yeah. Well, not if they paid you, you know, one hundred and twenty-five million up front. That's true. <laughs> or if you're handy Duplessis. I could be bribed out of shenanigans for one hundred and twenty-five million, probably. If you're there. I hope I'm saying his name right. I've said it a lot this week, and I I've not. Said, to- I thought it was. Uh, Duplessis, but I do not know why I thought that. Well, we need Mark because he's South African, and Mark could could uh, correct oh, me. That means we're definitely getting it wrong, for yeah. sure. Getting it wrong. Yeah. All right, gents. Good stuff. Uh, U.S. Open. Just no, it's not even moments away. It's here. It's here. I've declared it U.S. Open week. We've got 
DFS preview on Monday, mega preview pod on Tuesday. We have something special on Wednesday that I'm not sure if I'm allowed to announce yet, so I won't. And then round by round recaps after each and every round. And apparently all of us are going to be at Brookline. So we're going to figure that out, I guess, which will be very fun. Stay glued to your devices. Follow Greg on Twitter. He's available at the real GFD. That right there, Kyle Porter, who you can find at Kyle Porter CBS. Producer Jacob does all the hard work behind the scenes. My Twitter account at Rick Run Good. This has been the first cut. Catch you next time.